me just get a quick drink of water. It's a little warm in here. Clean the bristles. So, let me just say also from my side that it is really good to be back. We took a vacation, family vacation, to the south of France. That's like rubbing in against my beard, isn't it? I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing like yours. Just... And uh, it was really good. It's refreshing. It's always good, I think, when you take a vacation to step away. Yeah, sorry. That's for you guys and for me. I want to see you and also make sure no one's sleeping. So if you're offended by the lights, I apologize. That was by my request. And uh, yeah, so but it's, it's always nice to take a vacation, have time off. It's a very popular time in Germany to leave in August. I think there was more Germans in the south of France than in Germany. So that was interesting. Didn't really feel like I was very far from home. But uh, it was good. But it's also the best part, I think, about a vacation is coming back and feeling refreshed and being ready to dive back in to what you're doing. And especially here, I'm excited to be diving back in to this ministry and, and just stepping into this new season and believing for what God wants to do and believing for what God wants to do in and through each and every one of us. As, as Beck said, I, I really agree with this, this idea that it's not just about coming together and sitting together and sitting in these comfortable chairs and singing nice songs or hearing a nice word, but really getting to know one another and going deeper so that we can be that support and community for one another that God calls us to be. So it's cool to be back and to see all of you guys again. And uh, I'm especially excited because today we're starting a new series that I've been looking forward to and excited about for quite some time. I, I've wanted to do it for over a year now and just didn't really know when it would work. And uh, so here it is. We're starting it today. And what we're going to be doing is looking at a Bible character, and that character is going to be the King Josiah. It's an interesting character in the Bible, and we're going to be doing that over the next four weeks. Some of you will have heard of Josiah and uh, as one of the kings of Judah during the last kind of the last season of the time of Judea or of Judah before the exile into Babylon. But others of you, even those of you who may know the Bible well, may be like, who's that now? Josiah? I feel like I've heard that name. But where have I heard it? Well, FYI, my son's name is also Josiah. So if you hear someone yelling Josiah around here, they're probably talking about him. Not the Bible character. And Bex and I, that's my wife, had this particular biblical king, King Josiah, in mind when we chose his name. And this is a part of what led me to wanting to do this series and what made me kind of excited about the idea of doing this series is because of all of the puzzled looks I get when I say who he's named after. That, yeah, my son's named after King Josiah, and they're like, what? Who's that now? And I named my son after this character, one, because it's a cool name, and uh, it sounds good in both English and German. I'm not going to be over-spiritual here. It also was because it sounded good. But uh, mostly I really like the character and the, the life that Josiah lived. And obviously in choosing that name for my son, I would hope that my son will share in some of the good character 
the good nature and the righteous living that we see in King Josiah. He is one of the lesser-known Bible characters. Again, I, some of you may not have even heard the name Josiah before. He's not famous like the giant-slaying King David who, with all of his war victories and his mighty men that he had by his side and all of the great and sometimes questionable things that he did in his life that he's well-known for. And he's not as well-known. He doesn't have like a thing like we saw with Jonah and the whale or Daniel and the lion's den. He's, Josiah can kind of slip past our glances when we're looking at Bible characters. And so my hope is that in the coming weeks, we'll all get to know Josiah a little bit better. We'll get to know who this man really was. And one thing that I'll be focusing on today especially is what made him unique and why we really should know who he is, why we should pay attention to Josiah because he has a lot of things about him that make him unique amongst all of the other kings throughout Israel and Judah. He was a man of good character, and he is a man that we can all seek to emulate, even in our lives today. And that's what I hope we'll begin to see even today as we go through this message. In addition to being a righteous man on a personal level, we'll see how he follows God, how he does what is right in the eyes of the Lord, not turning to the side, but always following after God. But he also is a king that molded the culture around him. He changed the atmosphere of the people and what was going on in the entire city and nation of Judah, of Jerusalem and Judah. So, which is where we're going to get our series title that we'll be doing in the next three weeks, which is Revived, Renewed, Restored, The Tale of King Josiah. And those are going to be our three focuses in the next three weeks. Examining the effect that Josiah had through his actions to bring about change. And I would even go as far as to say revival in his time. He brought a revival to the people of Israel, a kind of last revival before their exile, actually. To see the people, to see his city, his nation, truly revived, renewed, and restored. And we're going to see that in the following weeks. Josiah brought in a time of revival for the people as he sought to reunite them, to mend the relationship between them and God that had been long broken and kind of left to fall apart. And today, though, we're going to be starting with some background, looking at the history of Josiah and his reign as king and some of the important aspects of who he was. And then I really want to keep you hanging on till the end, because the end, I really want to share an important observation that God placed on my heart that I believe that he wants to show us today through the example of Josiah. And it's an application straight from the man himself and one that applies to every single one of us that call on Jesus Christ as Lord. Anybody who follows God today can use this example in our lives. So first of all, where is the story of Josiah found? You'll find that there is no book of Josiah in your Bible if you were looking for it. It's actually found in two different books of the Bible, in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. So 2 Kings 22 through 23, 30. 
and in 2 Chronicles 34 through 35, through 35, 37. So that's, uh, I know all of you remembered everything I just said. And we're going to be jumping back and forth between these two texts. So we're not going to be doing it verse by verse like we normally do, because the two stories are the exact same story. There's just sometimes a different emphasis at different times, and we want to kind of look at both, but I would always encourage you to read through the story of Josiah this week if you can, so that as we go into, especially going into these kind of key topics that we'll see in the example of Josiah and his life and the people of Judah, that you would already kind of have a view of the whole of the story as a whole. And it's always good to read the text. So if you can, you can easily find it if you just type in story of Josiah in Google. So I trust you guys will be able to work that out for yourselves. And, uh, but I do encourage you to read it. That's where it's found in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. And when we compare Josiah's story to all the other accounts of the kings in Chronicles, 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings, there's something that we have to note. There's an importance in Josiah's story because he's given quite a lot of text. Some of them are only given a few verses, half a chapter, but his story is kind of really painted out. And a lot of the important events of his life are laid out in detail, exactly how they took place. And so there's something that we should note that this is not some random character in the Bible that we should easily overlook, but really take time to understand why was his story so important? Why did they take so much of the text to show us the account of Josiah? And what is the Bible trying to tell us? Or what can we learn or apply to our lives today from Josiah's story? Now, when did Josiah reign historically? We're just going to get through this, some of this stuff. I think it's good to know. I don't know. I enjoy knowing these things. It's, it was, uh, he became king in the year 640 B.C., and his reign ended when he died. He was uh, killed in battle with an arrow, and that was in 609 B.C. And the importance of this is what was going on. So that was the end of the Assyrian Empire, and we kind of looked at who the Assyrian Empire is when we looked at uh, the series of Jonah because he was called to go to Nineveh, which was an important city in, the Assy- in Assyria. And it was a huge, massive empire that Israel had a lot of kind of back and forth being captured or taken by them and not. And at this time, they're not under uh, Assyrian rule, but they will soon be under the rule of the Babylonians. And right after, or soon after Josiah's death, only 22 years after he dies, in 587 B.C., is when all of Jerusalem is taken by the Babylonians, where we see the captivity of the people, the Jewish, the Jewish people. And that's important to note because, as I mentioned, this is kind of like a last revival before that time. And in the text of Josiah, he's even given a prophecy that that time is coming, but God is going to wait until after he dies to bring that judgment that he had been, had been long coming. And so it's a cool experience that Josiah gets, bringing the people, revitalizing their relationship with God in this kind of last revival before their captivity. He was a unique king in a lot of ways. Another way that he's a unique king is that he was promised to come. It was prophesied that there would be a king named Josiah that would do the things that King Josiah did. During the time of Jeroboam, which was a wicked and evil king, 
In 1 Kings 13, verse 2, it's, this is the prophecy that it says, A man of the Lord came and prophesied. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. So this is taking place. These words are being said, are taking place, as this altar is being dedicated to foreign gods, to worship other gods. And Josiah, it says, would come and destroy the altars and burn the bones of the priest. And we'll see in the next coming weeks that that's exactly what happened. So not only is Josiah this great man in himself, but he was also promised to come. And we'll see this throughout the series and through the story of Josiah. It kind of brings Josiah's tale into a new light. We see the power of God working behind the scenes even before Josiah comes onto the scene, even before he was a thought. This was decades before Josiah was born, and yet he was promised to come. And so we also see this kind of image of Christ in this promised kind of revelation, this promised revival that would come through King Josiah. We see God's, man, God's power manifest through him in his very existence. And ultimately, we'll see it through his actions as he follows the Lord. So let's look at the opening of the tale of Josiah and his reign in Second Chronicles 34, and I'll read the first two verses. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So another unique trait is that he was only eight years old when he became king. In the Bible, he's the youngest king that we ever see in Israel or Judah. I've met a few eight-year-olds in my life. None of them were very kingly, I would say. So uh, that's also quite unique, quite amazing that he would become king so young. But what's really amazing is that Josiah, it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So from the very start, and we'll see all the way to his finish, he followed the Lord. In this, he's pretty unique. Most of the kings had their moments of rebellion, but he followed the Lord always as he ruled. And we see him as this ideal king by God's own standard. If you look back in Deuteronomy 17, you see God kind of listing off these ideas of a king that would come, a good king that would come, and what it would look like. And the people then, at that time, that was before there was a king, and the people thought it would be that Saul was that king, but he wasn't. He didn't fit the description. But here we have a king that truly fits God's description of a king, a king that follows after God's heart, that does what is right, does not go to the left or to the right, but follows God wholeheartedly with all his mind, soul, and strength. And if we look quickly at Josiah's life, we can see the accomplishments of his life as these standards of unique and quali his unique qualifications to be able to say he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
And this is what we'll be unpacking, of course, over the next few weeks. But just to give you a bit of a taste, he removed all the idols, as was prophesied about him, that he removed all of the idols in the land. In Second Chronicles 34, 3, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. So at 16, he's seeking God with all his heart. God's will, God's plan for the people, God's plan for, the, for his life, worshiping him as his personal Lord and King. At 20, he's ridding the land of idols. To have such zeal for God when he's so young sets Josiah apart and makes him unique as a king in Judah. He rebuilds the Lord's house that had been long forgotten and allowed to fall apart and to begin to crumble. So he not only takes down the idols where the people were being led astray, but he leads them back to a place where they can connect with God by rebuilding God's house. He found in that time, as he rebuilds the temple, he finds the book of the law that had also been long lost and forgotten. That's the first five books of our Bible. And finding it and hearing it read, Josiah is deeply moved, even ripping his clothes at how far the people have, had drifted from God's word and God's truth and God's plan for his people. He has the book read in its entirety, and then he renews the covenant with God publicly before all the people. And he brought back the Passover. And this is one of the things that Josiah is most famous for historically and in Jewish history. The Passover was to celebrate and to remember that God had brought the people out of Egypt. Ultimately, what they're remembering is that salvation comes from God. It is not in the hands of the people. It is not by our personal strength or the sweat of our brow. It is by God that the people were saved. And they had long forgotten this. And in 2 Chronicles 35, 18, the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel, none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah. He brought back the remembrance that salvation comes from the Lord. These are just some of the things that, some of his actions that we see this great man. Again, I'm just touching on this just to give you this picture, this idea of this man. And how he followed God all his days. How he sought God. And how he changed the atmosphere of the city of Jerusalem. I'm excited to be diving into this more in the next weeks. As we look deeper at these events. And seeing more of this picture of a Josiah that revived and renewed and restored the culture around him. But here I want to take a moment to look in a different direction, to look back at Josiah's family, to see where Josiah came from. To be such a great king, so young, it 
Seems he must have had good examples, right? Good teachers in his life. He must have been just of good genes. He must have had something in him from the beginning. I mean, how can we today compare ourselves to this king so long ago? Maybe he just had, he was just made out of something better than we are. How can we compare ourselves to him? Well, for this, I would look first at his grandfather, Manasseh. In 2 Kings 21, the whole story is laid out. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Here's just, I'm not going to read all of the text. I just want to grab a few things. I'll read verse 2. It says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. It's not a good start. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 4 and through 6, some of the things that he did. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. These are altars that he built to other gods in the place where God was meant to be worshipped. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and counseled mediums and spiritists, and did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He sacrificed his sons, obviously not all of them, because then there would be no Josiah. He sacrificed his sons. He did detestable things. This is Josiah's grandfather. In verse 16, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now what I want us to grasp here is that this is Josiah's grandfather, not that far away from him. Can you imagine hearing stories, tales of your grandfather like this? How he did detestable things like this? How he would sacrifice his sons to foreign gods in the place where God was meant to be worshipped? That the innocent blood that he shed in his life and his reign could fill the city from end to end. But I believe Manasseh's greater sin and the, the biggest transition that we see with Josiah is the sin that he had caused Judah to commit. So not only did he live this detestable life and do these evil and wicked things, but he led all of the people to go with him. He changed the atmosphere. He changed the culture to fall away from the Lord. This was his greatest wrong. And this leads to Josiah's father, Manasseh's son, Ammon. Second Chronicles 33, 21 through 22. Ammon was 22 years old, a bit old compared to these other guys, when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem just two years. Just two years he reigned. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. He's following in his father's footsteps. He's doing what he knows. He's doing what he had been taught, what he had seen growing up. 
He sacrificed his sons to these foreign gods. We see this second generation. This is what happens. The culture was, was changed negatively and then it spread into the next generation. And now he's leading an entire nation to follow that same example into evil. This is Josiah's father. Now he was assassinated after two years. That's why his reign is so short. There was this kind of, it just says there was a conspiracy. They plotted against him. They killed him in his chambers. And then the people of Judah, the people of the city, found out who had plotted against him and killed those people and made Josiah king at eight years old. That's what he came into. That's the experiences that he, that he had behind him. Maybe not the best examples to have in one's life. Not the greatest stories to hear. Before Josiah, his father did evil and he grew up seeing this and hearing of it. His grandfather did evil, detestable things. He grew up hearing about these things, knowing this as the regular, the norm. In that time when he was made king, all these idols were still in operation. People were still sacrificing, still worshiping these foreign gods. That was the culture that he came into. And yet Josiah did not give into what he came from. He didn't say that's just how that it's done. I guess it's, this is the culture. This is what we do now. This must be right. Josiah pursues to live a righteous life before God, going against the norm, to seek to mend the relationship between God and his people, to bring change, to not become the culture, but to transform it, to be a leader. And here's the observation I want to apply to us today. In verse 2, again, I'll read, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And later in verse 3, it says, He began to seek the God of his father David. His father David. Well, that's not his father. We know that's not his father. That's not where he comes from. He did as his father David did? What is he talking about? It's talking about the same thing we have today. In John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus Christ, all who did receive Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As Josiah was not defined by the acts of his birth father or his family, he wasn't defined by the culture he grew up in, what he saw outside his doors, the things that he heard of, but instead he is called a son of David who represents God's choice. David was God's choice for king. David was a man after God's own heart. And Josiah fits as his son. We today are not just products of the culture around us. We are children of God. Let us be defined as children of God. We need to stop being who we see ourselves to be. 
and start becoming the person God has designed us to be. Josiah had no example from his fathers to follow, and yet he did what was right. This removes the excuses, doesn't it? The excuses we all use at different times in our lives. It removes the excuses. It tells us that we are not the product of simply our DNA. Well, this is just how I am. This is how I was made. This is just, it's just the way I am. It's in my DNA. I can't help it. I can't change it. It's who I am. It removes the excuse that we are a product of our environment. Well, this is the culture, man. Get with the times. This is just the way it is. This is just how we do things now. This affected me. This, this, is, this is who I am because of where I grew up. It removes the excuse that we are the product of our family. Well, that's what I was shown. That's how I was raised. That's what I was taught. It removes the excuse that we're just a product of our personal past. This is how I've always, how I've always been. This is how I do it. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. I can't change. You don't know the way that I lived my life until now. I'm too far gone. You're not a product of your current situation. I can't do anything from where I'm at. I'm stuck here. I can't move forward. It removes these excuses. We are children of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You're not the son of, the product of, or the result of anything. You are the pro- you're not the product of your parents. You are the plan of God. You're not the product of your parents. You're the plan of God Almighty, and you are an adopted child of the Creator. It was His plan to call you son and to call you daughter. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption. It was always the plan way before he predestined us for adoption. Just as Josiah was predestined to be the king he was, we were predestined to be adopted. Predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And the proof And the reason that we're no longer defined by all of these things that we feel we might be the product of, even down to our DNA, is Romans 6.6. For we know, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And so I want to tell you guys, quite clearly stop it stop it stop saying that you can't that you can't follow God with all your heart because this and that is in the way because of some part of who you are that you think you identify with you're not identified by those things you're identified as a child of God so stop it stop saying that you can't impact the people around you what can I do What effect am I really going to have? Stop saying that you can't play a part in molding this culture away from a self-indulgent living 
and toward a God-centered reality. Josiah was one man that molded and transformed an entire nation back to God. What happens if a room full of Christians live this way? Live as sons of God, daughters of, of God. Not where they come from, not the product of their past, but as sons and daughters of God today. What would happen if we all lived like that? In ourselves, we can't do much, but we're not just ourselves. I'm not just Brandon. It's not just Giannis. We're children of a living God. The final words about Josiah that conclude the story is 2 Kings 23, verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did. With all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. Never had there been a king like him. He is unique. He had no reason to. It would be easy to conclude that the culture he grew up in, how could he turn to God? It was too far gone, too far from God to see any great deed, any great revival in that day. His father and grandfather brought the people so far away from God and against God to foreign gods, to idols. And Josiah, though, despite all of this, brought in the last revival before the people are taken into captivity. Even though all hope seemed lost, none, no other king like him, turned so full-heartedly to God. He was a son of David, not a son of Ammon or Manasseh. You are a child of God today. Josiah brought massive change to the culture that he was born into. He was not molded by it. He did not succumb to the ways of his father or the people around him. He lived as a son of David. He did what was right against all odds. And this is what brought change to the land. This is what brought a revival. So, how are we living? Are we looking for reasons why we can't? Are we looking for excuses on what our limitations are based off of who we see ourselves to be, what we've been told we are, what we've been told we're capable of? Or do we live as children of God? As Josiah lived as a son of David, he was not identified ever as a son of Ammon. He was identified as a son of David. How are you identified? When we remember we are identified as a child of God, all excuses are taken away. And more importantly, our potential to impact and transform this world, this city, this place, your classrooms, your workplaces. 
The potential to impact and transform this world is no longer limited by our former identity, whatever that might be. Whether you identified from your past, your family history, your mistakes, your education, your shortcomings, whatever it was that you identified as, we don't need to be limited by those things. We can identify as children of God today. And let's hope for a greater work today, for revival in this city, for transformation, for people's lives to truly be impacted and changed. Let's seek after the Lord with all our hearts, with all our strength, with everything we are as Josiah did, making Christ our treasure and our great love of our lives. I invite the band to come back up. We'll close, as we do, with a song. We want to worship God. We want to end singing praise to Him. I'll invite you to stand now as we prepare to sing one last song together. And if you need prayer today, come and ask for prayer. Whether it be encouragement or struggles you might be going through or a sickness you need prayer over, but I specifically want to encourage those of you who want to find freedom from the grip of who the world has said you are and that you've held on to as your identity. Come and get prayed for that, that, that you would have freedom from that, that your identity isn't those things. It isn't what the world says you are, what you think you are. You are a child of God, and you are who he says you are. So let's sing a song today.